Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? This is Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. And, of course, we are here 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden in New York City. And let me tell you, it's like we're living in a bizarro world. There's so many crazy things going on. Everybody is flipping out about tragic deaths, and they should. Let me tell you, yesterday when I saw the um, the body cam footage of Micaiah Bryant, 15 going on 16 is how I believe it was reported. Teenage girl. I happen to be the father of a teenage girl. That's 15 going on 16 this year. I literally, no lie to you, sick to my stomach. My stomach hurt for about an hour. And I sat there and I pondered and I said, man, what the hell is going on in society? Now I look, I'm, I, I don't live in a bubble. I grew up poor in Brooklyn. Moved in sixth grade to Hudson County, New Jersey. Wasn't more prosperous there. It was, it, you know, it was a very humble beginning for me in my life. I get it. I know what it's like. I've seen that stuff. I didn't grow up in the hood. I didn't really hear gunshots growing up. But I know that there's neighborhoods like that. And I've been to them and I've seen them up close. So I realize, you know, we don't live in a bubble. I get that. But what I don't get is how the outrage is so selective. For Micaiah Bryant, everybody's up in arms, as you know, as they should be. Not against the police, per se, but at the fact that there's just circumstances that create this. This girl was outside her house with this big knife. I saw the video. She wasn't about to gut a uh, deer, right? Who knows the purpose of this knife? But what I'm thinking here is, you know, we've got a problem. And this is a systemic problem. We have a systemic issue with intra-racial murder. And it seems to be ignored by everybody. Everybody. I mean, it, it's something that I, I've heard about a million times and I've never taken a um, a cause for action for, but I'm thinking somebody needs to. You know, in addition to Micaiah Bryant, th- there's these other cases that are going on. Right over the weekend, I think it was Sunday night, you have Jaslyn Adams, seven years old, Today or yesterday night, very late, her dad speaks out. Now, of course, there's zero protest for these that are involved in the intraracial murders. A couple of black gunmen opened fire on her dad and her at a McDonald's drive through Now, I don't know the situation. I don't know if her dad is involved in gang life and he was the target or if he looked like he was the target, but he seems to be pretty shocked. And if you're in gang life, typically you don't go on the news and hold a press conference and say, I don't know why they took away my baby. I don't know why they did X, Y, and Z. But this is a horrific thing to me. I mean, again, maybe I I wear my dad hat too much, 
But I happen to love my kids, and I think most parents love their kids. And nobody wants to, to witness their children dying. No parent should have to endure that. This happened in Chicago. Father of a seven-year-old girl who was shot and killed over the weekend spoke publicly for the first time. Jaslyn Adams was in the car with her dad at the McDonald's drive-thru on the city's west side when she was shot Sunday afternoon. Seven years old. People gathered outside her family's home Wednesday night for a vigil. Her dad said he wants to see his daughter's killers behind bars. That's not necessarily how gang members speak. Just saying. Could be. You know, listen, I know Chicago's a, uh, a rough place. Quote, that's my baby I just lost, Jonte Adams said. I got shot once. My baby got shot six times. Six times. My baby got shot six times, and they still don't tell me why she got shot at. So if he doesn't know why she got shot at, that means that he doesn't know that they were out to kill him. Or he's a coward, and he knows that they were coming to get him, and he's playing stupid now. But you know what? I don't think that squares. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Because you don't, when you're a target for a gang hit, you don't go and put yourself on the news and get quoted in the newspaper saying, Jonte Adams, father of, you know what I'm saying? So it seems like maybe it was a case of mistaken identity. Who knows? But it does seem like these people are shooting people up willy-nilly, just wow, wow, West style. And this poor little girl paid the price. And it's horrific to me. Absolutely horrific. Of course, the police are still investigating that. The police that they wanted to fund. Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, she blamed the police, saying that, you know, it was, uh, I guess, them not addressing uh, gun violence in the streets as best they could. And that's what politicians do. They like to politicize everything as if that's always the simple answer. And that's exactly what um, good old Joe El Baboso Biden did and Jen Circle Back Pasaki, Silent P, of course, in cut number five. She says that, you know what, this is all about racism, which is to blame for the shooting of the 16-year-old girl. No, racism had nothing to do with it now, going back to Micaiah Bryant. It had to do with she or someone else called the police. The police rolled up. The video's there. I mean, it's unfortunate. Absolutely. But the girl has a knife, and she looks like she's going to kill someone. So he stops her from killing someone. Lamentably, those are the only options that you have. So check this out. First, has the president been briefed on 16-year-old Micaiah Bryant being shot and killed by police in Columbus, Ohio yesterday? It happened moments before the show verdict came out. Yes. Um, I said to you, yes, and let me, let me just say, since you gave me the opportunity, uh, the killing of 16-year-old Micaiah Bryant by the Columbus police is tragic. She was a child. We're thinking of her friends and family and the communities that are hurting and grieving her loss. We know that police violence disproportionately impacts uh, black and Latino people in communities and that black women and girls, Such like a black liar. men and boys, experience higher rates of police violence. We also know that there are particular vulnerabilities that children in foster care, care like Micaiah, face. And her death came, as you noted, just as America was hopeful of a step forward after the traumatic and exhausting trial of Derek Chauvin and the verdict that was reached. So our focus is on um, working to address systemic racism and implicit, implicit bias head on and, of course, to passing laws and legislation that will put much needed reforms into place at police departments around the country. Has the president been briefed on it? Yes. All right. So first of all, let's take uh, let's take it apart. Lie by freaking lie, because she's clearly lying here. Now, the fact that. She says these things with zero pushback. It's as if she can say whatever she wants, no impunity, right? Because 
nobody will push back. I should say she has impunity to say what she wants. Blacks and Latinos are not uh, disproportionately affected by what she calls police violence. This is the problem that we get when we didn't push back on people using the term gun violence. And I, I, every now and again, I'll go to Twitter and I'll just put it out there for the sake of doing it. And I'll put, make sure when you buy guns, you buy happy guns. Or, you know, in my life, I've never owned a violent gun. I've only owned happy guns. Because the problem is these are inanimate objects. Obviously, they're not violent. Now, people say, but Rich, if, if there's violence that's connected to guns, what do you want to call it? I want to call it violence. And it's not because I'm trying to hide the gun part. It's because we don't necessarily call hammer violence, hammer violence. Somebody hits somebody in the head with a hammer. We don't say, oh, yeah, no, no, these are atrocious acts of hammer violence. Nobody does that. It's violence. Violence is violence and it's wrong and it's bad. Punto. Final. That's it. So why on earth do we attribute gun violence? Well, of course, it's because guns are in the crosshair. And that in the last episode, uh, episode 231 of This is America, that's what we talked about. I wrote this article in the Washington Times eight years ago this month. And you change the names of the players a little bit, but it's the same exact thing. Same thing. Absolutely the same. Instead of Barack Obama, now it's Joe Biden. But they're still coming after the Second Amendment. Now, what what I find remarkable about this is that Jan Pasirko back Pasaki, she goes out there and not only says that it's police violence that's to blame and black and brown, the victimization, they just lay it on as thick as they can, which I find personally offensive because I happen to be brown. At least in their eyes, I'm brown. I don't live my life through the lens of racism like they do. I don't sit here and think, you know, I've got a Jewish board operator. I've got a, this one. I, I point it out tongue in cheek occasionally. Because who does that in their life but for the racists? There's nothing wrong if you want to support your local Jewish business, your local black business, your local uh, Puerto Rican bodega, whatever it is. There's, in my opinion, nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong when you live your life solely trying to focus on everything through the lens of race. We don't live in a racialist society. Racialism, racism. They have no place in our society. King, Dr. Martin Luther King, he was explicit in his point that we should focus on the content of one's character, not the color of their skin. Yet here we are today where you have the critical race theory people saying that, you know what, like Dr. Ibrahim uh, X. Kendi and others that say it's not enough to just say that you're going to live in a colorblind society. No, because that ignores racism. I thought that's what we were supposed to do. Not ignore the bad part of racism, but ignore race altogether and treat people as people. That's what Dr. King called for. But now they're like, oh, why do you hang your hat on Dr. King? You need to be an anti-racist because if you're not actively working to fight and stop racism, then you are a racist, right? I once heard somebody say, you're either an anti-racist or a, you fill in the blank. These false equivalencies where they try to paint people into corners, they're not going to work. I don't consider myself a racist. I love black people. I love Hispanic people. I love white people. I love everybody. Unless, you know, I don't love you. <laughs> then that's a different story. But for the most part, I have no um, bias or what she was talking about, these um, these these racial biases that, that uh, exist somehow in police departments. Now, I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything and say that they don't exist in any way. Of course. There's some bad apples. And I think, you know, then they want to criticize you when you say, oh, yeah, you always say it's a couple of bad apples, but yet another another um, dead African-American. And that's the story that they tell. Lamentably, there's also dead everybody. But if you cherry pick the stories, that's what you get. 
the facts are all over the place that it's not disproportionate. Blacks are not getting killed more than other people. Yet they continue to spread the same lie over and over again. Now, I want you to hear a little bit about another really sad situation. Because in addition to Jaslyn Adams, a seven-year-old that was killed, murdered at the McDonald's drive-thru, You've got a teen that was charged with fatally stabbing a 13-year-old girl. The worst part about this, the killer is 13 years old and the victim is 13 years old. Listen to this on the news. 13-year-old is dead. Another 13-year-old is under arrest. Two families and a whole community are also grieving. It all started as a fight in Winton Hills. And police say one of the girls put out a knife and stabbed Nayara Givens. We learned today that both girls were seventh graders at Aiken. Givens was one of seven siblings. Young lady, and, and, and you know, 13 years old, you haven't lived, you, know, you haven't experienced a whole lot, and for now, she won't experience these things. And then there's another young lady who's going to be handicapped in some form or another the rest of her life by the same situation. The young girl will face a juvenile court judge tomorrow morning. A crisis support team is helping students. So, again, this is a, a clip from Local 12 News in Winton Hills, Ohio, WKRC. And the police said a fight happened outside of the address, 14 Top Ridge Place, on Monday night. Officers said a 13-year-old girl who they're identifying as JP pulled out a pocket knife and stabbed Nyara Givens. Early on Tuesday, some family members spent some time remembering Givens. They held a prayer for her and put up some balloons and a memorial for the 13-year-old. Her family said that Givens loved singing, dancing, TikToking, and taking pictures. A whole lot of people are hurting. A young lady who was a viable part of this community, energetic, friendly, no longer here, said Pastor Peterson Mingo with the uh, God Squad. I guess that's a chaplaincy division of the uh, Cincinnati Police Department. This is horrific. Yet, guess what? I got to search far and wide to find these stories about Naira Givens, about Jaslyn Adams. They're only reported on local news. The national media has not a care in the world to talk about these little black girls that are being slaughtered by other blacks. Now, I'm not here to, to, to make a false equivalency, you know, to say, oh, you know, they want to talk about cops, white cops killing black people, typically young black men. But I want to talk about the reality of intraracial murder, black on black crime. To me, this is the more epidemic problem. And I've never heard Al Sharpton say anything about it. I've never heard Jesse Jackson say anything about it. I've never heard Joe Biden talk about it. Matter of fact, Joe Biden contributes to this problem by locking them up, saying he didn't want his own kids to live in a racial jungle, right? And then Jen Percircle back Pasaki. Well, of course, she defends Joe Biden, saying that, you know, when she's confronted on this, that Biden's role for authoring the system, you know, the 1993 crime bill, that was Joe Biden. Now he calls that systemic racism. Check this out. President Biden yesterday, uh, responding to George, the George Floyd, Floyd case verdict, uh, said uh, that George Floyd's death, quote, ripped the blinders off for the whole world to see the systemic racism in the United States. Uh, but he's an architect of multiple federal laws in the 1980s and 90s uh, that disproportionately jailed black people and contributed to what many people see as systemic racism. Uh, the activist Cornell West said that Biden was, quote, one of the core architects of mass incarceration and that, quote, I think uh, Biden is going to have to take responsibility and acknowledge the contribution he made to mass incarceration 
to what extent does President Biden uh, acknowledge his own role in uh, systemic racism, and how does that inform his current policy positions? Well, I would say that um, the president's one of the president's core objectives is addressing racial injustice in this country, not just through his rhetoric, but through his actions. And what anyone should look to is his advocacy for passing the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, for nominating uh, leaders to the Department of Justice to address uh, long, outdated um, policies, uh, and to uh, ask his leadership team here in the White House to prioritize these issues in his presidency, which is current and today and not from 30 years ago. Does he believe it's important to accept his own culpability? I think I've answered your question. Yeah, so she thinks it's important to, um, no thanks, I'm not answering the question. You see, Jen back Pasaki, Silent P, of course, all she does is dance around this. And when she can't give an answer, when she can't defend the indefensible act, right, they, they've created this conundrum. They've created these terms where they have uh, hijacked language and said, you know what, we're going to call this the prison system, we're going to call it mass incarceration because it's not just incarceration, it's incarceration en masse because all of a sudden we've got so many, and I get it, listen, the United States has more people in prison than the rest of the world. I hear that all the time. I don't want to go to prison, but I do want the bad guys in prison. So um, I'm not going to be a hypocrite on this one. If that's what you want to call it, call it. I'm all for it. I'm all for putting bad people in jail. I'm all for innocent people going free. But she talks about injustice, racial injustice. You know what's a racial injustice, in my opinion? The fact that the police, the government, in particular the Democrats and every single uh, civil rights leader that I can think of may make remarks and offer platitudes, but they've never done a damn thing about what I just coined this phrase. And maybe somebody else came up with it, but I haven't heard it before. Systemic intraracial murder. That is the problem. That's the problem. Overall violence. If they want to play my game, then I'll say, let's just deal with violence altogether. But if you want to peg things by race and by different sect, then the way we'll do it is calling it systemic intra-racial murder. And this is something that Abraham X. Kendi, AOC, and the rest of these clowns have yet to address. Now, speaking of AOC, All Out Crazy and Professor Kendi, They've got some comments that they've made as well on this case. Plus, I want you to hear what AOC had to say about climate change being racist. So keep it locked right there. We're just getting started. I am Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. Para Inglés, o primo número dos. Para Rich Valdez. Y esto es America. Ahora. All right, America, welcome back. Bienvenido. I am Rich Valdez. Uh, you guys know me as your liberty-loving Latino amigo, El Conservador. I'm at Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I really appreciate you guys chiming in because this morning I shared a story on uh, Parler. And I shared it everywhere, but I, I got the biggest response on Parler. There were so many people that had so many comments. And I really appreciate it because that feedback really um it it helps me at, at the very least to um to kind of say you know what this is what the people out there all across america what they're feeling and i mean from funny pictures to really sad things uh people saying it's going to get worse it's just um it's really unfortunate and I wanted to just give a couple of quick uh, shout outs to a few people that chimed in on this. So Marlene684, she says, where are the protests for this beautiful little girl? Where is the demand for her murderer? Where is the call for violence to stop on Chicago streets? 
See, it's not about black lives. It's about destroying America and turning it into the BLM America. Then Lisa Lisa Max says, because there is a dad in the family. See, the monsters want to kill the entire family ideology. The only support for that narrative is that we know that black families want dads in their families. I'm speaking for a black friend. Okay. Thank you, Marlene. And Jay Ren Kilby says, well, a famous black basketball player with 50 million Twitter followers just demanded the cops stop intervening in black on black crime. He thinks black people should be allowed to murder black kids because he values the lives of black murderers more than black children. Thank you, Jay Kilby. I appreciate that. And everybody else that chimed in, I do appreciate it. And uh, we'll be getting to a couple of more shout outs a little bit later on. But AOC, and again, you know, AOC is always good for a laugh, right? She really is. She always has something um, new and interesting and exciting to say. This time she's talking about climate change being racist. This is in the uh, UK Daily Mail. She's now blaming racial injustice, quote unquote, for the climate change crisis as she relaunches her Green New Deal. AOC on Tuesday relaunched the 2019 climate change plan, the one that she tried to get votes on. She couldn't even get it in a Senate vote from her good friend, Senator Ed Markey, who's one of the biggest lefties out there in Boston. Couldn't even get it from him. And mind you, from 2018 to 2020, she served in Congress. And let's count on one hand how many bills she introduced that got signed into law. Okay, hold on. What's that? None. Zero. Zilch. Nada. She didn't get a damn thing done. That's why she's in the top 10 least effective Congress people. Now, again, that is just in terms of her getting something enacted into law. Let's not forget yesterday we talked about her PAC is raising so much money that she's giving out money to candidates that are struggling. And some of them are so afraid of her toxic leftism other Democrats, that they're saying, no thanks, I don't want it. But she told reporters on Capitol Hill that climate change was the result of racial policy. She urged the crafting of legislation to address climate change and climate inequality. The New York Congresswoman's comments were roundly mocked by critics. Her Green New Deal has for years been a source of ridicule for Republicans. That's true. A lot of shtick for us in the talk radio world. And critics say it threatens American energy independence and economic might. And of course, that goes without saying. Just like Solyndra, the uh, scam that Barack Obama put together with his buddy, Joe El Baboso Biden. So AOC conflates everything to racism, absolutely everything. This is uh, their go-to. And when it's not racism, the new term is white supremacy. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. And this is why I take exception to this stuff. But I want you to hear AOC weighing in on on this whole situation with Derek Chauvin uh, being found guilty, right? He's found guilty on three counts, right? Murder one, murder two, and then manslaughter or whatever it was, criminally negligent homicide, however they phrased it. But the point that I want to make here is that this is a guy that, you know, they made the case all along saying, look, he's likely not going to get away with murder because he's on camera. So he's going to get charged with something. He may not get 
found guilty on every charge, but he was. And the the argument here is, number one, did he wake up that day and decide he was going to kill George Floyd? I think most people would agree no. Now you have other prosecutors that have weighed in and said the premeditation part didn't have to be in the nine-minute window that he was kneeling on him. He, in fact, could have said in the first three minutes, I did that to get him under control. But after three minutes, he might have been very much subdued and in control, especially if he'd ingested some fentanyl that might have calmed him down some more and slowed down his breathing. Okay, granted. So then why was he kneeling on top of him for another six minutes when people were screaming out, when even his partners to the left and right were available? What's up with that? Well, I think that the, the, the argument there is made that Derek Chauvin disregarded what they were saying and did what he wanted to do anyway. And that that, in effect, creates premeditation. But all that stuff aside, the guy has been found guilty on all three charges. Yet AOC, she says that is not enough because that is not justice. Listen to this. So, no. This verdict is not justice. Frankly, I don't even think we call it full accountability because there are multiple officers that were there. It wasn't just Derek Chauvin. And I also don't want this moment to be framed as this system working, working because it's not working. And that's what creates a lot of complexity in this moment. <laughs> Toward the end there, it seemed like, did AOC just run, run out of stupid things to say? And just when you thought she might have been at a loss for words, she found more stupid things to say. Thank you, AOC. All out crazy. Our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens. Now. To make this worse, and you would think this can't even get worse. The guy's found guilty, kills the guy. He gets found guilty of the crime on every charge. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, a jury of his peers says, you're it. Now, there's question, of course, and you heard I talked about it in the last episode. If you missed that, make sure you catch up on the last two or three because this is a series and we kind of always build off the other. But they said that Maxine Waters may have tainted the jury pool and maybe he can win on an appeal. We don't know how that's going to end up, so we'll keep it uh, uh, on the radar. But the idea that is circulating in life. Uh, and again, maybe I just happen to live in, in a very non-racist place, right? Maybe living in the suburbs of New York and New Jersey is um, we're just super non-racist here because we're so diverse. That very well may be. You know, I had somebody once tell me that, you know, have you ever seen in Sunday afternoon uh, a, a parade of Klansmen with their hoods on just walking down the street in the middle of the street like a parade? I was like, no, I've never seen that, honestly. He's like, that happens here every Sunday. And he's in rural Georgia. So I get that um, my purview is um, somewhat um, limited or even nuanced because of where I am geographically. But I got to tell you, in my life, and my travels, I used to work with Project Veritas. I was in a different city each week, coast to coast. And I'll tell you this, I never really experienced the majority of people I've come across as racists. I have met a racist once and he threw around the N word like crazy. And it was a very uncomfortable experience, but by and large, most people aren't. 
But when you hear guys like Professor Ibrahim X. Kendi, he's the author of a bunch of books that have been used now to brainwash an entire generation of people in college to having them believe that somehow we cannot take another step forward in America because we have such a serious problem with racism. And I think it's so over the top. It's so bizarre to me that, you know, I don't blame every misfortune that comes my way on racism. Why on earth do these guys that are so learned? It's beyond me. Uh, Maybe somebody can help me understand. I've had very rational, calm discussions with anti-racists. Matter of fact, one of my episodes was with a dear friend who espouses that um, belief system. And it's just one that I I just don't believe. Now, listen, um, I tend to think that systemic racism, like redlining, where banks were told and, and prohibited black people from getting loans, is wrong. And I do believe that that is not the case today. If I'm wrong or if I'm being naive, you know, somebody said, Rich, how could you say that? Just look at how black kids perform in schools. If that's not systemic racism, you know, but for the fact that they're black, they would succeed in schools. I don't believe that it has to do with their race. Now, that doesn't mean that there's racial animus towards some of the policymaking. But when you look at the policymakers, there are other blacks. So it makes me think, you know, is Dr. Charles Epps, who I think is an upstanding individual, I may not agree with his politics, but he's a um, superintendent in Jersey City or was one many years ago when I was involved with the beloved community charter school. Am I to presume that he's a racist? No, of course not. He's a black guy with a PhD that dedicated his life to uh, public education. Now, he may be pro-union. I might not be pro-union, all of that stuff. Okay, we can have disagreements. But I think he wanted to see children educated because he himself was an educated man. And I think he sees that as the betterment of his of his society, of, of society overall, and of his neighborhood, of his city. And I'm just using him, just picking a hat, uh, you know, name out of a hat because it just came to mind. But when you look at who runs urban education systems, it is, in fact, people that look like the community. It's not always white liberals. So I can't help but think, no, I don't believe that they are racists. I don't. But I want you to listen to this piece. Um, backbenched it from the Mark Levin show. Ibrahim X. Kendi. I don't know if he played this cut, but I want you to hear what he has to say about the justice versus injustice of this whole George Floyd thing. Check it out. Justice is not closing a case. Justice is not closing the cell door on Chauvin. Justice is closing the door on racist narratives and policies that endangered Floyd, that still endangers black people, that endangers America. Justice is opening the door to an anti-racist future where American fear is endangered, where I no longer live in fear, where Americans no longer live in fear of me. Justice has convicted America. Now we must put in the time transforming this nation. All right. If this guy thinks that we shouldn't be afraid, uh, we shouldn't. I agree with him. The only thing people should be afraid of, honestly, is a tyrannical government, God himself, and maybe mommy, if she has a chancleta in her hand and she's coming after you to give you, you know, (laughs) give you a spanking with the uh, slipper in her hand. But outside of that, I don't think that's the case. I don't think people walk in fear. I think people are suspect of certain individuals, irrespective of their race. 
So whether it's a six foot five white guy tattoo on his neck, you know, looks like some sort of Harley guy that's about to rob you in a dark alleyway or, or the same description black guy or, or Asian guy. I think if you're walking down a dark alley and you see somebody that's, you know, tatted up, shrouded in obscurity, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is that, that, what that person feels like is going to make them feel threatened. I don't think it's race that plays the part. I think it's the situation, the time, the place, all of that stuff. I haven't seen too many people be afraid of people in the middle of the day unless they gave off a threatening vibe. So anyway, I mean, I guess that's an argument for another day and and one that I'm willing to have uh, because it's not one I, I think I'm necessarily right on. That's just my opinion. Guys like Dr. Kendi, they go to work every day. They write books. He makes a bunch of money on books. He has a very big um, fan base. He's college professor, sought after for colloquia and all sorts of stuff like that. And to me, he's preaching poison. People might think that about me, that I'm preaching poison, but he really is preaching poison. And the proof is nobody's doing crazy things in the name of Rich Valdez and Liberty, in the name of loving America. But people are doing crazy things in the name of anti-racism. People are burning cities to the ground. BLM is a real thing. They have hurt the police. There is crazy amounts of violence going on, let alone we bring in this uh, Antifa aspect of it. This is left-wing politics and left-wing policies that are focused on damage. They're focused on bringing about chaos. They're focused on dividing people by race, by income, by whatever strata, quote-unquote, they want to divide us by so that they can conquer us and subjugate us eventually. In whatever way, I don't mean like a king and his subjects, I mean however they want to do it, whether it's the haves and the have-nots. Uh, to me, I think we're all the same. Maybe I have more today, than I, but I didn't have it when I was six. So I think people can be a, a, a part of these different groups at different points in their life. And if you keep it real and you're a genuine person, you remember the people and you still associate with the people from when you were broke from when you're more successful. Because that's how we live our lives. We're people. It's We're not racist. We're people. Anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox for one second. Straight ahead, I want to talk about this article that I read that says uh, from GQ, a foreign edition of GQ, that says that the Republicans are zombies and that's why they're potentially going to beat the left in 22 and potentially in 24. So don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right there. We're not finished yet. I am Rich Valdez at Rich Valdez on all the social media. This is America. This is America. He's making podcasting great again. This is America with Rich Valdez. All right, America, what's up? Welcome back. I am Rich Valdez. Bienvenido. Welcome to the program at Rich Valdez on all the social media, on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm using that a little bit more often lately. So if you're on Instagram, get at me at Rich Valdez with an S. Now, what I want to talk about in this segment is this article, which I seem to have misplaced. Oh, here we go. And it's from GQ Magazine UK edition. It says a zombie Republican Party will overwhelm Joe Biden in the 2022 midterm elections. Joe Biden's honeymoon rolls on as the public and media enjoy the quote unquote relief of normality. I would have used the word normalcy, but fine. Now, every single prediction about the decline of Republicanism has been wrong. And 2022 will be just the same. Biden, President Biden, promised he will restore the soul of America, quote unquote. He's already running out of time. 
The commander-in-chief is 78 and unlikely to see more than one term in office. By the time the pandemic crisis passes, mid-2021, it says, and just, I'm quoting, it says, inshallah, you know, like, thank God, you know, God willing. Uh, so the author here, just to, so you know, I'm reading from Freddie Gray, April 20, 2021, GQ magazine. Biden could find his administration has run out of gas before it ever really got started. A week is a long time in politics. Two years can whiz right by. For now, Biden appears to hold the aces. He's got a Democrat majority in the House of Representatives and his president, Vice Vice President Kamala Harris, can cast a deciding vote in a split Senate. The economy stimulated to its guts is expected to roar as this year goes on, according to this guy. I'm not sure if that's exactly the case, but it could potentially be with all the money they've pumped into it. His opposition, the Republican Party, looks prone. Wrecked by its calamitous marriage to Donald Trump, in his opinion, I think that's actually the saving grace of the Republican Party. Republican base still hates the Republican establishment and vice versa. The infamous storming of the Capitol on January 6th, as we're told, has tarnished the American right for a generation or more. I think that's BS. It's largely forgotten uh, until guys like Chuck Schumer bring it up. Now, Big quote here. It says the Republican Party, for all its problems, remains the strong favorite to win the White House in the in 2024 and the midterms in 2022, possibly by a large margin. And they may even take back the Senate. But journalists have spent decades saying that Republicanism is finished. They're always wrong. The truth is that the Republican Party, for all its problems, remains the strong favorite to win the White House. And he repeats the same big quote. Trump or no Trump, the grand old party marches on. I agree with that. Uh, and it's not that I'm against Trump. It's that I believe Trump is, a, is an amazing leader, but we have to figure out how to survive, whether it's just as conservatives or as conservatives that are part of the Republican Party. We have to get by on principles, not just strong leaders. It's more like the political equivalent of the undead, he says. The mistake pundits make is to confuse Republicans with normal uh, democracy, a zombie army, Republicans, obviously, that horrify every sane voter, but somehow always win because people hate the Democrats just a little bit more. In 1964, when Barry Goldwater lost the presidential election by a landslide, everybody said the Republicans were doomed. Wrong. The soothsayer said the same after Richard Nixon resigned in disgrace in 74. Wrong again. (laughs) So, The political consultant class assured the world that the demographics would bring down America's conservative movement. In 2020, Donald Trump turned uh, that notion on its head in states such as Florida, Ohio. He forged a multiracial working class coalition that despises the Democrats, and he's right. So a couple of days ago, there was an article in the Washington Post. And if I could pull it up in time, I'll, I'll give you the title. But it was written by a guy named Eric Garcia. And Garcia writes an article, and I'm guessing he's from the leftward perspective, but he writes a good piece because he explains it in a way that I think other leftists would understand. And he's basically making the case for why, at least why he feels that it was in fact that Republicans uh, did so well amongst Hispanics and Latinos. The piece, it's in Washington Post called Trump, My Dad, and the Rightward Shift of Latino Men. And it's on my Facebook if you want to check it out. The um, ultimate um, point of the story was uh, that the immediate response 
of why Hispanics did so well is because, oh, Hispanic men, of course. Hispanic men are so uh, focused on machismo that there's no other way that you would ever appeal to a, a, a Latino, a Hispanic man, other than Trump's bravado. Now, I think while I find that appealing, I do. I enjoy the fact that Trump is a man's man and he, you know, he says what he means. He means what he says. I don't think that's the case because they tried to make it look like the saner, more level-headed Latina, the, the mom uh, in Hispanic households was somehow against Trump. And that's not true either. And I think this is the point that they, they miss entirely. And it's a really good piece. It goes into lots of nuance and a lot of things. The author of the piece talks about his dad, who is a conservative, and helps him to understand why he himself, when there were 17 candidates in the race, uh, Charlie Garcia, the author's dad, he, um, he says that Trump was his 17th choice. So obviously his last place favorite back in the uh, debates in 2015. Now, you look at that and you think he's evolved. And I think a lot of people evolved because there was a lot of people that said, oh, you know, Trump's great on TV. He's good at business. But no, we don't need him in Washington. Now, I think Trump proved to many people that he had at least, if not equivalent, very close to the political charm of Ronald Reagan, which is why I've nicknamed him the, or I should say, El Presidente. The commander in chief, of course, El Trompito, Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, because he governed from a very, very conservative perspective. And it really did open the door for so many Hispanics. Now, people say, but why is it that Hispanics? Now, first of all, I reject, I typically reject it almost all the time, the notions that people should vote monolithically. So when you say, why is it that Hispanics always vote for Democrats when you guys are actually so conservative. And and it makes me think like asking, why is it that you white people always end up in Antifa? Clearly it's not right. I mean, you know, there's not a bunch of Hispanic people in Antifa, right? It's all white people. But it doesn't mean all white people are Antifa. Some white people like Antifa, some white people like Trump, some like Biden, some like this and some like that. That's my point. It was never... Um, all the Hispanic people. Now, lots of Hispanic people, there's a majority, and, and granted, I, I understand, it, and I think in large part, it's the, the reason that we have to blame for everything. Propaganda. We've had a media that's been unaccountable to society at large. They can say what they want maliciously, and nobody cares. That is the problem. Now, during the age of Trump, when he said, nope, you're fake news, and he would push back, wrong. Things like that were simple, but incredibly effective because it was that part of being simple yet effective that got people to say, you know what? I don't need that. And they could go to alternative sources for information. It wasn't just watching Telemundo. It wasn't just watching Univision. Now people were watching YouTube and they were watching shows um, like Dania Alejandrino, who's got a great YouTube show that's on Facebook and she's got a great radio show in Florida and, and others. Um, Elizabeth Vargas, I think her name is. She has a show called... Um, uh, I forget, La Premisa Inarticulada. La Premisa Inarticulada, I think is what it's called. Great show. Uh, she's actually very articulate and she does, uh, articulate the, in our, the unarticulated premise as the title of her show suggests. And again, if you speak Spanish, check them out. But my point is there, there was this revolution where people said, I no, no longer need to follow lockstep because the media clearly has been exposed. And that was just in four short years with one guy pushing back. 
Now there's a movement. There's lots of people. My buddy Jesse Holguin, he's out there in, uh, in East LA, former gang banger. He's in a wheelchair now because he got shot and he's paralyzed. He runs the Lexit movement. And you've got the RNHA, the Republican National Hispanic Assembly. Great people doing their thing. Lots of people all over the place. My buddy Gabe, he's running the uh, Hispanic uh, caucus of the New York Young Republicans. So now there's so many Hispanic leaders that are coming out saying, you know what, I was never a part of that, but now I'm letting everybody know I was never a part of that. And you see the same thing in, in the black community and you see it all over. And, and I don't like to bring race into it. I bring it in for the sake of making the case that these articles that are coming out saying, well, here's why Trump did better. Yeah, the reason why Trump did better is because people forget about their race, but people want to do well. People want to prosper. Trump helped America pr- prosper. Punto y final, period, the end, that's it. We don't have to search far and wide for reasons of race, this, that, and the other. That's just us getting fooled. That's why we have to stand for stuff. We have to know stuff. I say it all the time. If you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. That's Hamilton. And of course, Lord Acton, Burke, and others. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to do nothing. So don't do nothing, do something, take action, learn something, read something, start speaking to people, create something. Forget about picking up a broom and helping out the other guy. It's time for you to build your own organization. It's time for you to start being active, start doing the work. Because ultimately, at the top of that parchment that is part of the foundation of our country, the Constitution, it says, we the People. And in my opinion, that's the answer. You and me. We, the people, are the answer. And it's we, the people, that are going to fix it, not them, the politicians, not them, the leftist activists. Anyway, that's all I've got for now. Until the next time, hasta la próxima, America. I am Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade.